Hey, welcome back to the Fam Lab. I'm Barrett, and I'm in here with Matt. We just wanted to do a short introduction to this next episode. Again, we're coming to you off-site, and Matt will explain where we are as we get into kind of the meat of this conversation. But we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, do us a favor, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can also email us questions or topics or uh, ideas that you have for the Fam Lab at hellofamlab at gmail.com. We check that regularly, and we hope to hear from you soon. We are uh, excited about this particular discussion uh, because maybe you have a college student right now, and you're learning to deal with that or working through that, or maybe you've got kids that will eventually be college-aged, Lord willing. So how do we deal with kind of them transitioning from being in the home to maybe far away? Uh, what does that look like for uh, their faith? Uh, and what are the trends that we are seeing now? And so we spoke with two men um, that are on a college campus that see this kind of transition take place. Uh, what's the difference between a freshman in college and a senior in college when it comes to spiritual health and things like that? So uh, really interesting conversation. Matt, tell us some about uh, who we got to sit down with. We were incredibly blessed to sit down with Dr. Monty Cox, who's the dean of the College of Bible and Ministry at Harding University. In addition to uh, his work there, he's also the preaching minister at the downtown church and worked as a missionary in Kenya for 10 years. And we were blessed by uh, his insight and wisdom into this topic. We also were joined by the Dean of Students at Harding, Zach Neal. He oversees the Office of Student Life and has a great perspective about uh, what it looks like to be a college student and the type of things that are on the forefront of the college experience today. Before Zach joined the Harding community, he worked in full-time ministry in Ohio. So we're blessed to have both Monty and Zach join us on this podcast. Matt is going to be leading the conversation, so you'll hear his familiar voice here in just a second. Uh, but we will turn it over to these three guys, and you'll hear us again at the end for some really practical takeaways from our conversation. Again, thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Really excited to be back with another episode of the Fam Lab, and we are recording from the Kibo Room at Midnight Oil, a great place for uh, coffee and conversation right next to the campus of Harding University, and we're very excited to have two of uh, the deans there at Harding, Dean Neal and Dean Cox with us for this conversation. And we're gonna be talking about some of the faith trends uh, that they're seeing with college students and how we can partner as a church with our families as they're preparing to send their kids off uh, to college. And so we're so glad that they're with us. We'll have them uh, introduce themselves to us. Can you get us started? I can do that. I'm Zach Neal, um, as you mentioned, Dean of Students at Harding University. Um, this is my uh, starting my 14th year. I've had some other roles uh, within that, that time frame, but starting my 14th year at Harding. Um, I've been married for 19 years. I have uh, three uh, biological children and uh, two uh, foster kiddos, and we're really close to the adoption stage uh, there. So uh, range from six months to 16 years in the, in the house. Um, prior to being at Harding, uh, I worked uh, as an associate minister at our congregation in the Toledo area. And I'm very happy to be a part of this conversation. I think the topic is, is perfect timing. Thank you so much. My name is Monty Cox. I'm the Dean of the College of Bible and Ministry here at Harding. I've been in this position for uh, 13 years, I think, and have taught at Harding for 28. Before that, we were missionaries in East Africa, planted churches for a decade. My wife Beth and I have been married for 39 years. This December, we have three grown children and four grandchildren. I think that was the most significant information. Awesome, well thank you so much again for being with us. Um, and we have some questions, but we kind of just like to open it up. And you know, when you hear the phrase faith trends in college students, we'd love to just hear kind of what comes to mind first. And then um, you know, we'll bounce back and forth kind of based on what you guys are seeing. So when you hear faith trends in college students, what comes to mind? Dr. Cox, you can get the ball rolling for us. So many things come to mind. Um, and yes, some of them are, are negative. If I'll start with the positives, I think 
there is a, a generation uh, and has been for uh, several years now uh, evidence of this that's uh, not interested in the same old, same old, uh, that's up for a challenge. Um, if it's missions, uh, they're ready to hear about the hard places of the world, which are some of the only places left. When I was a student, you could recruit people to be missionaries, to plant churches in uh, open countries that welcomed missionaries and were receptive to the gospel. These days, um, more and more places have closed their doors to uh, those kinds of traditional missionaries, and more of our students are interested in uh, nations (coughs) from the Middle East to Southeast Asia uh, where there isn't an open door. There has to be some other way in. And many of those students are up to that challenge. It's not always true that their parents are, uh, but those students are, and I find that inspiring. Uh, That's one uh, very good thing. Uh, I think we at Harding still have a a strong sense of community, so students who come here uh, learn uh, maybe as much from each other as they do from their professors. I'd like to think that we have a hand in it too. But to draw really good students from really good families to a place like this where iron sharpens iron, I see a lot of iron getting sharpened here because of their influence on one another, and it's a positive influence. Uh, On the other hand, we are seeing what you would expect. Uh, We would see, you're seeing it in your context too, I'm sure, the influence of a generation of pluralism that helps feed the relativism that makes skeptics out of a lot of people. Uh, and I would describe the pathology uh, just like that, uh, that if uh, there are all these options out there that we now know about, uh, that we didn't know about before, if we lived in a small town somewhere in the south, in the states, uh, we weren't going to be exposed to Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists, but now that we are, how can we still say that Jesus is the only way so I think we, we are dealing with a generation of students like um, a generation of uh, young Americans who are accustomed to the pluralism and for whom the uh, exclusivism of the Christian claims are hard to stomach. You know, I uh, was 24 when I first started uh, serving at the congregation I had mentioned earlier at Toledo. I think I had... Uh, quote a better grasp of the best answer uh, then and now I have teenagers and I hang out with college students on a regular basis and I uh, good or bad uh, the formula of the best answer uh, I've been challenged on that a little bit I think Um, defining faith uh, so you know the in quoting scripture of faith of being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see we're going to talk about trends within that topic we usually, uh, as, and I'm 40, and so I know age is relative, but to a college student, I've, I've hit the old mark at least. <laughs> um, we usually think about, uh, well, where do you, quote, go to church? Uh, where do you worship? And then that is the extent of faith trends, is, are, are this, is this generation, are they getting up on a Sunday morning? What does that look like? Where are they? I'm not going to pretend like I know all the statistics on that, uh, but I can say that I feel that um, a student defines uh, faith a little bit differently. And I think people my age um, don't need to be disheartened that we're giving up on assembling together and that the first day of the week is no longer important and that we're not honoring scripture. I haven't sensed that. But what does it look like? I uh, I think this age group is willing to go, hey, wait, we've been doing it this way for a long time, but why? And I don't know that there's a lot of people my age that can say, well, this is why we define pews and we define church buildings and we define settings. Um, and a lot of it, when we're honest, they really are traditions. There's nothing wrong with them and they are healthy. And I think there's an accountability that comes with um, having that tradition because it's a positive habit that allows us to feed into something that's way more important than that is being able to gather together and worship. Uh, The students that I interact with the most uh, regarding this topic, 
they are very servant-hearted. Uh, as Dr. Cox mentioned, uh, opportunities around the world, it's also true even in our own community. I've had students even this past week come to us and say, hey, I noticed there's some folks that it looks like they would have some food insecurities. What can I do to help? Uh, well, they weren't okay with me you know, saying, well, well, we'll get a committee and let's talk about that and we'll, maybe we'll get a fund for it and maybe we'll go. What they meant was this afternoon, tomorrow, what are we doing this weekend? And so the positives within questioning how we respond to things, sometimes we get nervous on the negatives, what we would consider the negative side, but the positive side is they're ready to go and let's do this right now. Um, I worship with you know students where, uh, where I gather weekly. There's a lot of students that still have Sunday morning priority. Um, and so I'm not nervous about that. I think that Sunday night worship, Wednesday night Bible class, uh, what do these Bible studies look like? When do we gather? Uh, sometimes uh, when we don't see them in, in those kind of settings, uh, my first response usually is, let me tell me where their parents are. And a lot of times uh, what the parents do and what the parents say aren't always the same, and they're more likely to lend themselves to what the parents do uh, than necessarily what the parents are trying to tell them. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh for kicking it off, both of you. Um, one of the things that stood out to me and, and we hear with our uh, high school and middle school students are a lot of the questions about you know, Christianity's exclusivist claims and, and also about you know, why we do what we do. Um, and part of that that we see from a parent side is you know, they want to have those conversations, but you know, I think they're nervous sometimes. I think they you know, they, they like the what questions, right? Um, things that maybe have a more clear uh, place to point their kids. Are there some things you could maybe help parents point to on conversations about both of those kind of why topics or some encouragement for having those, you know, open conversations with your kids and, and maybe how you go about having those conversations? Does that make sense? It does. I, I think... Uh, First, we have to focus on the heart of the gospel. We have to remember what, what it is. This is about Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. The conviction of the authors of the gospels, the conviction of the first followers of Jesus. And if we are preoccupied with truth around the edges rather than truth at the center, then we're gonna lose uh, a lot more of our students. Um, you know, from junior high, high school, and into college, uh, because that ship has sailed a long time ago. We are living in the post-denominational age, where um, students are going to have to have, uh, and then young adults after they graduate from college, they're going to have to have a really good reason to stay put in the fellowship in which they were raised. And if they don't have good reason, uh, then they won't stay. They'll gravitate to whatever fellowship seems to them to to focus on the things that matter most to them. And uh, it's right for us to focus on what matters the most in in the scriptures, which is Jesus and Him crucified. So first and foremost, I would say make sure our students, uh, pre-college and in college are immersed in the Gospels, uh, that they're convicted about the story of Jesus, and if they have questions about his exclusive claims, then that's where we have to begin, is uh, what would make us think that he is the one and only. I think it's also possible to uh, say, against the backdrop of the religious alternatives, including the none alternative, N-O-N-E, uh, the fastest growing religious demographic in America, as you know, uh, against that backdrop, we have to have reasons that we can point to that say, here's what led us to the conclusion that Jesus of Nazareth is who he claims to be, that he is the embodiment of what God wanted to say to the world in a way that no one else is. And that's why we are so wed to him. That doesn't mean that we're mean about it uh, toward others. In fact, we want to be informed about the faith of others, we want to be knowledgeable about their faith um, so that we can understand where they're coming from as well. But uh, there are all kinds of resources that, that I think of, uh, you know, 
in, in books and probably podcasts as well that underscore the centrality of the figure of Jesus as the heart of the Christian message, but we need to have that conversation. Absolutely. Uh, echoing what Dr. Cox said, and, and maybe it's, it's step two and what does that look like tomorrow morning type approach. Um, like I said, I, I wish I had a, here's your one, two, three formula, and you know, we'll make a million dollars and of course donate it sure. uh, on that book that we're writing. Um, if, they're, uh, if you're raising children, you're at a stage where they're <clears throat> younger, <clears throat> I think it's important when I mean younger, even two, three, four, five years old, um, think about um, what you want them to think and be and do even 10 years from then. Uh, and I've, I'm getting a second chance at that uh, in, in our um, increased uh, uh, opportunities with foster kids. And so it's almost like I get a second family approach. And so I'm not saying I was, uh, did this the first time around because it, it was hard, uh, and it still is. But we put a lot of emphasis on Bible stories and um, praying at night uh, and uh, encouraging small children. And it's popular to do that. And it's kind of, quote, fun. Uh, and then as children get older, sometimes we back off of that a little bit. So I think creating the environment at home where you just never stop maybe the approach that you even have with the smallest of children. Um, this is the part where it starts to get a little more difficult. As they get older, trust your... Uh, about said student, but trust your child uh, with uh, more information on how Jesus is affecting your life. Um, where's your money going? Um, are you, um, is your time committed outside of just showing up on a Sunday or just showing up? Because uh, showing up is good and you got, uh, without presence, uh, it's not going to happen, uh, E-N-C-E at the end. Um, but what does that look like during the week? And I think the times that I'm being most real with myself, um, my, my own kids probably have more questions when what I talk about, what we're supposed to be doing, doesn't look like what we're doing. Uh, and I think that that, even though as simple as it sounds and as difficult as it sounds, uh, being a little bit more open on what we're going to do this weekend and what we're doing tonight and who are we helping and who are we serving, um, where is our money going, and when you allow some of that type of meat to get on the bones, um, the next step, whenever they do go to college that freshman year, you know what you've modeled, you know what you've taught. And I think, and this is also difficult, and I haven't weathered this yet myself, so I, I can't know. Maybe I'll come back in a few years and do the next step of podcast. But, <clears throat> excuse me, that freshman year, don't freak out when they start having more questions than they've ever had before. And you thought they said why a lot when they were three. They're, they're probably going to increase those whys because now they're having to answer them for themselves. It is very encouraging to me the number of students that I've talked to at age 18 as a freshman and then being able to talk to them when they're 22 as a senior. They've come back around and oftentimes come back around to echoing what their parents modeled. Sometimes also what their parents said, but almost always what their parents have modeled. Um, and so I... I'm, I'm very encouraged. That's one reason why I like working with this age group. I feel like I am most challenged by this age group to make what's most important, keep it the main thing. If I can add to that too, Neal is pointing to habits, uh, things that families practice together. And I think that's a good corrective to uh, an overemphasis on thinking about faith. I mean, in both of our answers, we've said we need to be open to the questions that young people ask, and we do, but it can't be all intellectual. I think of the book by James K. Smith, uh, You Are What You Love, it even has a good chapter on youth ministry, by the way. How would you do youth ministry with an emphasis on doing what you love rather than just being thinking things? We're not brains on a stick, as he would say. Uh, James Smith talks about how he learned uh, the, the streets of his neighborhood where he grew up, being on his banana seat bicycle, riding all over the place. If someone had come up to him, a stranger in town, and said, uh, can you tell me how to get to such and such a place? Well, he could have taken you there, but he couldn't have told you the street names. He knew his hometown by heart. Is it possible for our kids to know the Lord by 
heart? And can we uh, so um, train them to, in practice, Christian practice, good healthy habits, including being part of a church, really being part of a church, not just being spectators at a church. Can that be a, a habit that will help form in them the kind of faith that in some corners, some circles, we kind of downplay these days? Um, you know, on one level, uh, doing something in a certain way because you've always done it that way is not healthy. Um, it, depending on why that person does that thing by rote, it could be something they need to really think about and not do by rote. In another way, depending on what season of life we're talking about, that could be called obedience. And obedience is a good thing. One of the things that I, I like about that particular book is he talks about you know, the habits of our heart are also being shaped by all these other cultural kind of liturgies mm-hmm. that are, are being put out. And, you know, the, the things of, you know, each place around us, we may not classify as sacred, but it's putting out, you know, some habits that are worship-centered in, in some way or another. You know, what are some of those messages that you think parents, like, these are important messages to go against some of these counter-messages that are being put out by all the things, you know, around us. You mentioned those of other religions, but are there some that, you know, you think are... Man, college students, if they get a steady diet of, of these messages, will have a, a real formative effect that will guard against so many of these other things. Well, one whole area is in the spiritual disciplines. I think there are many college students who are uh, hungry to know about the practice of spiritual disciplines, some more than others, of course. I teach a, a class of freshmen Bible majors uh, in a course called Foundations for Ministry. And uh, I'm impressed with how honest they are in their reflections they submit to me uh, about uh, a particular spiritual discipline that we're trying to practice through the course of the semester. We practice a dozen of them over the course of one semester. But I'm impressed with how honest they are, for example, if we do a 48-hour media fast, just how painful how difficult it was for them to not be on Instagram for 48 hours uh, to not check in on Facebook but how open they are to say I had no idea how much that when there's a dull moment if there's a pause in the conversation my phone comes out here is to use James K. Smith's word here is a secular liturgy that is shaping us more than we think the assumption that if it's on Netflix it's fine I mean we can watch it because it's on Netflix and the, the things that people watch uh, without any sort of filter, uh, I think, have become uh, uh, one of those liturgies that are shaping us more than we know. So on the positive side, to help a college student think about practicing the spiritual disciplines, learning to say no to themselves, whatever that looks like in their case, I think is extremely valuable, and it shouldn't start their freshman year of college. I think a good study, um, probably my favorite study, was Hebrews 11, and not just studying it on the surface, but to go back and study each individual from the Old Testament that's mentioned and find out what they all had in common. And I know for time's sake, um, that would be for another conversation, but the quick on it is almost everyone mentioned in Hebrews 11, if not everyone, was a little bit nervous and didn't know for sure what they were getting into. Uh, And I think that parents just knowing that they are good parents. They are people of faith. Even if their kids are in the questioning stage of, of their faith, that's positive. It's when my son or daughter quits asking questions that I get a little nervous. And then there are things that we can do for that as well. But in this topic of faith itself, if you're noticing them searching and struggling and asking questions, that's positive because that means they care. That's great. And, you know, one of the things that you know, we really appreciate about, you know, what happens uh, in this environment and, and so many more is, is just the desire to, to do this ministry for our, our college students. It's so important. Um, we like to end every podcast with just the opportunity for each guest to just say, hey, you know, if, if I were a parent, 
this is the encouragement or this is the word that I wish someone had you know, kind of told me or this is something that's been on my heart this week that I want to share. Or just kind of, you know, that latest thing that, that you're like, hey, love to share this with somebody. And so we like to just kind of end our, our conversation with that. Is there something that comes to mind that, uh, that you'd like to end our time with? There's a book a long time ago called The Intentional Family, William Doherty. And he describes families that take advantage of the things you're going to do anyway, turns them into rituals. You're going to sit down at the table. Well, you're going to eat. But it's surprising how few families actually do sit at the table and eat with the TV off. Um, make that a family tradition, and you're children and grandchildren will be blessed by it a generation later. It's around the family dinner table that I think our children learn to converse. Of our three, we had one that was less talkative, but he didn't get off the hook. I mean, we would go around the table and say, all right, tell us something from your day. Um, Report on your day. Everybody was obligated to report on the day. It was around the family dining room table, no TV. And, of course, this is back before cell phones. Uh, and they're all pervasive reach. So families, I, I would say, that can be intentional uh, to protect that time around the table or bedtime when they're younger or whenever it is. Uh, that will pay dividends later. And at the same time, asterisk, this is not a, a computer program where if you punch in the right buttons, then you will absolutely get the outcome that you desire. I know, raise up a child the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. I don't think even that is meant to be foolproof. So uh, people ask me sometimes, so your children are all in their 30s, you're no longer raising kids. I say, yeah, now I'm raising adults. Uh, our role continues. Uh, after a season in their early 20s when, as people like to say, we weren't that smart as their parents, then they started having children and we started looking smarter. The, the relationship with our adult children is such a sweet thing, but I think the, the basic ingredients of that relationship, what makes us who we are as an extended family, I think a whole lot of that happened around the table. Thank you so much. I think, um, and I, I feel like I do this now. I wish I would have just started earlier. And it is trusting your village. Uh, give a little thought to who you've surrounded your children with. Definitely echoing what Dr. Cox said. And I have fond memories of being around the table with my parents and my brother and sister uh, and how that shaped me. Uh, now, as a parent, realizing I am so thankful that there's more than just Sarah Jo, my wife, and I raising our kids. Uh, I highly trust uh, the men and women that are the parents of their friends. And we have open conversations with each other and we're very real with each other and what are we struggling with and what do we need help with. Um, give some thought to who your village is. And I think if you're not intentional about it, um, you're gonna end up with one regardless. Uh, the village is gonna exist. Have a little say in what that looks like. Uh, second and similar to this, think of and I always use the phrase, the cute little old couple that sits in the corner at church, or probably sits up front if, if, if not. Um, call them. Ask them for coffee. Better yet, maybe go to their house and see if they'll bake the pie. But have that conversation. Just say, tell me what I need to know. And I think that we can gain so much wisdom from those that are 10 feet from us while we're gaining wisdom from these books that we're reading and everything we're listening to. Um, but it's, uh, it's by design that we are uh, asked to be teaching those that are younger. Uh, well, it's going to take someone younger probably being willing to ask somebody older on occasion. Uh, so take, that, take advantage of that. I want to thank you both for being with us today. I know our listeners were blessed, and thank you both for your ministry uh, that you're doing at Harding. Uh, thanks for being on the Fam Lab. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Hey, welcome back into the studio. It's uh, me, Kyle. I have Mikey and Rosalind here and Travis behind 
the computer and doing all the fancy stuff with the knobs and buttons and things, making us sound good. We are so thankful that we got to sit down with Monty Cox and Zach Neal at uh, Harding, and we had a great conversation. Hopefully you were able to uh, come away with some um, some good things that they uh, said as far as faith trends in college students. That was the topic, and so uh, Mikey, Rosalind, and I are just going to kind of debrief and talk about a few of the things that was uh, discussed and um, some things that we really liked, things that we want you guys to um, hopefully take home and put into practice with your family, whether uh, you have a college student or whether you're going to have a college student in the future. Um, so we want to kind of start off with uh, just some some positive things um, that they uh, talked about. We definitely felt like uh, after listening to it that um, things start young, right? That was kind of our, our thought process in the fact that um, if you're wanting your college student to be a follower of Christ and, and part, practicing their faith and um, involved in the community, all that sort of stuff, um, that doesn't start when they are going off to college. That starts when they are young, um, you know, an infant uh, in elementary and all that. So uh, what are some things you guys remember um, that they said that concerned that? Well, I think you're right, Kyle. I think... Um one of the things that was brought up is that in this time that has been called a post-denominational age, uh, that kids will need a reason to stay in the fellowship in mm-hmm. which they were ra- raised. And um, that was brought up a couple of times. And so I think you're right. I think it's important that we talk about those things now, talk about why we're a part of the church family that we're in, talk to our kids about why we worship the way we do, and We can't and probably shouldn't want to keep kids from knowing what other religions believe and how other churches practice their worship and that sort of thing. It's it's all out there and available for kids now. Whereas I think when I was a child, I think I was sheltered from a lot of that. I I didn't really know what was happening in the church down the street. I didn't know what was happening with other world religions. But kids grow up knowing those things now. And we need to have a foundation in our own faith that is strong enough to give our kids reasons for why we make the choices that we do about how we worship and where we worship. For sure. Well, I know that uh, there were some terms um, that uh, were discussed and and shared, and we just kind of want to clarify those for a second as far as um, what relativism and pluralism, um, those, those terms were used, just in case you're unfamiliar with those. Mikey, can you share the just a quick definition of what those are so we can uh, kind of go forward from there? Yeah, that was interesting. The point was made that pluralism and relativism lead to skepticism. So we looked it up, and a pluralism, um, what that really means is that a, a diversity of religious belief systems can coexist in society. It means that all religions provide valid responses to the existence of God. That's pluralism. Then relativism is the belief that there's really no absolute truth, that only the truths that a particular person or culture happen to believe just are. And if you believe in relativism, then you think different people can have different views about what's moral or what's immoral. Um, Religious exclusive, that's a hard one. Religious exclusivism? How do you say that? Exclusivism. Exclusivism. There we go. Exclusivism. That Christianity falls more in that category, where it's the belief that there is one particular religion or belief system that is true. And so the point that pluralism and relativism that are so prevalent today lead people to be skeptical about religion in general, just because it, it is a little more vague, it's a little harder to um, figure out what that means for mm-hmm. you individually, whereas Christianity Christianity fits more in exclusivism where then you have to be able to prove and explain why you choose, choose to believe one exclusive viewpoint. Right. So I definitely think um, that was helpful in just explaining those. Thank you, Mikey. Um, as far as preparing our kids for um, having conversations and preparing our kids 
for having experiences that are most likely going to happen in their college years. Again, like I said earlier, and what we felt was a good theme throughout the conversation was we've got to prepare our kids when they're young. And that means we need to have conversations with our kids um, as parents. And we also need to be very open um, with our faith with our kids. Uh, I call back to our previous episode with um, about, about spiritual health and the fact that our kids need to see us practicing our faith. Uh, this uh, generation that's coming up um, and, and is current right now, they want to see that. And they f- it seems like, in general, there is not a whole lot of um, faith being shown during the week uh, in parents, that parents seem to um, not necessarily back up their words with their actions. And so, and again, that's a very general statement. I'm not saying that you guys... Uh, don't do that. We definitely know lots of people that practice their faith. Um, but as parents trying to help our college students, trying to help our kids of any age, we need to to show our kids what we believe, why we believe, like you said, Mikey, of explaining maybe why we go to the church we go to, uh, why we believe the things that we believe. Um, and as a parent, we have to define that and know exactly what we believe so that we can tell our kids. Um, but we need to make sure that we are sharing that with our kids so that that prepares them for conversations in the future. Yeah, Kyle, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think it's really great that both of our podcast speakers talked about very practical things that we can do as parents. They talked about not just thinking about it and talking about what we need to do at our children, but to actually start creating some habits mm-hmm. some uh, and gave us some very tangible things that we can do. And I'm always for the tangible practice, things that we can practice with our children that will make a difference. Um, I know Dr. Cox talked about that it boiled down to those habits that we create with our family. And I actually love the idea that he put out there about can our kids know the Lord by heart and just what that really means. And, you know, when I think about that, I just think about them being um, with their families, having the habit of not only attending their local congregation, but, you know, serving throughout the week and talking about Jesus on a daily basis and reading their Bible with their parents and praying and have a, rela- a relationship with Christ outside of just that Sunday morning, Wednesday night ritual that is also good mm-hmm. to be in. So uh, just creating those habits, I think, makes a really big difference for our family. Yeah, so with um, the pluralism, pluralism and relativism, those are hard words to say sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like you said, there's a lot of um, skepticism, another ism, um, that comes out because of our world is smaller. Um, I mean, we can literally talk to somebody on the other side of the world almost any time that we want. Our world is very, very connected. And so that brings a lot of positive things, but it also brings a lot of challenges in that um, our beliefs, our traditions, the things that we have grown up doing are being questioned. Um, and so what are some of the challenges um, that you think as a parent um, we are faced with trying to raise children prepared for those types of conversations and interactions? Well, I think that um, parents probably, um, I mean, my kids are pretty young still, but I can imagine that parents get nervous about sending their kids to college and wondering if they're going to attend church, get involved in the church, continue with the the habits that they had tried to establish as kids. And I thought that um, it was brought up, an interesting question was, do students still have a Sunday morning priority? That was I thought that was an interesting way to word that question because um, I think it fits that concern that parents probably have. But then it was brought up that it isn't maybe as relevant for today's college age kids, that they're more interested in how you worship and the setting than when. So that was interesting. 
And it made me think, do we want our kids to work on developing their faith or or continue our traditions? And we really have to think about what are the things in our worship, in our practice, our habits that are traditions and what are the things that are really important. And that came up from Dr. Cox as well, who said that if we are preoccupied by truth on the edges instead of truth at the center, we would lose more students. You know, but that also made me think about how we need to help our kids understand early what is that center, what is the core of their faith, what are the things that are important and essential for their faith and for their worship and for their relationship with God as they learn and grow and figure out how that fits into their lives as they grow older. And, you know, I'm actually really encouraged by um, that conversation because Dean McNeil, one thing, Mikey, when he talked about is Sunday morning a priority, he seemed to think on the college campus that he works at that for most uh, kids, Sunday morning is still a priority, which goes back again to those habits that, you know, if you are raising a child and and you're taking them uh, and creating those habits of attending, that 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 will not just – in most cases, just kind of fall away once they go off to college. That is something that will stick to them. But I'm also really encouraged um, by the fact that, you know, he brought up the point that most kids, even when they do have questions, they usually do come back around to what their parents have taught them and what they have seen from their parents. And that's why we want to be consistent. And that's why we don't want to be afraid really of those hard questions Mm -hmm. and it can be really frightening as a parent because you get these questions and we don't always feel like we have the answers but sometimes we need to study and find out what those answers are and so I just think that's really important that they are able to ask those questions without us freaking out about the questions and also the fact that I'm encouraged that when they ask those hard questions and when they're wondering that it means that they care. They care about what their faith walk looks like and that they want to have real answers to the questions because perhaps they want to be able to answer those questions for others. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. I totally agree, Rosalind. And I think that when they are asking those questions, it does show that they care. It also shows that they're ready to learn. You know, it's not until you're ready to... To, when, when a child comes up with questions about their faith, a child, a young adult comes up with questions about their faith, that's when you do know that their heart is involved and they're ready to learn and they really want to figure out what they're going to do next. So I really appreciate that point that we shouldn't, we shouldn't overreact when um, our students, when our children have questions. It's a good learning opportunity, even though they're young adults. Right. Yeah. It's, it's easy to answer, and I think we are quick to um, want to answer questions from kids that are like the what questions, the very, you know, almost like textbook, very obviously easy questions to answer, but those why questions, maybe those how questions um, are, can be kind of scary. But as you guys said, we, we uh, see if they're asking those type of questions, then they are really curious. They are wanting to uh, really know more about God, and, and it, it shows that they are um, are thinking about it. The opposite would be, obviously, not very good to have in that uh, a kid not asking a lot of questions um, can, can be scary just because you, it seems like um, that they maybe don't care or they don't have any interest. Obviously, that's not always true. You may be listening, and you have a kid that it's just not someone who talks a lot or has a lot of questions, um, but that doesn't mean that things aren't being processed in their brain. And as parents, it's our job um, to, I think, pull that out of them. Uh, one thing that was shared, I can't remember who shared it, but um, talking about having those intentional conversations on at the dinner table and um, one of their children was just not much of a talker, but they still forced um, the conversation to happen and still really push them to share as much as they could um, so that, you know, those conversations are, are happening and it's not just um, something that gets missed. 
Well, I was also really encouraged by um, some of the positive trends For sure. that they both said that they have noticed with students today and just about how willing they are to uh, approach challenges, the challenges of missions and how willing they are to go to the harder places. And I love that. And I'm so thankful that there are kids today who are growing into adulthood that are, want to continue to share Jesus with people all around the, all around the world. And just that willingness and anxiousness to do something right now. What, how can I serve right now? And how can I help people right where I am today? Mm-hmm. So I love those positive trends. Yeah, they're more aware, it seems like, of um, <clears throat> things that need to get fixed or um, issues that they are, uh, they are aware of or that come to their attention. Um, they want to, to fix it. They want to do it and not just go through a process. They, hey, here's a need. I can help. Let's do it. Let's go and, and fix that. And so um, maybe as parents, that challenges us because we have been in the mindset of, well, let's 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 think about this. Let's, let's wait. Let's try and figure out maybe a plan, which is not necessarily bad because sometimes you need a plan. But other times you just need to take action. And our children um, can can push us towards Hey, let's see. We see a need. Let's go and do it. It's it's not a. I mean, the the Good Samaritan, right? He he saw the person on the side of the road, and it wasn't like, well, let me go back and make sure there's room at the end before I take him there, or let me go back and and make sure that you know I'm not going to drain my savings account by no. It's I saw a need. I'm going to take care of it, and I'm going to make sure that this person's needs are met. So I think this generation for sure is definitely in that mindset of here's a need. What can I do? now to help make it better. Absolutely. And what Dr. McNeil said about how we're spending the rest of our week, I think really resonated with me mm-hmm. because we are growing this generation that does care. And I think that's really great. And it's perhaps it's because parents have been serving uh, the rest of the week and caring for others. And if your parents that are doing that, that is so great because they're they are taking that with them as they go. And I think that's really important also that we think about how we spend our money throughout the week because kids are looking at that too. So it's kind of a culmination of all those things that right. they are looking at and, and taking with them. And I just am so encouraged that they care about not only what's going on in their local community, but just what's going on globally. Right. More than, you know, any other time, I think. And that's because they're so informed about what's going on. And instead of being, again, instead of being afraid of that, I think that on some level, we're going to have to embrace it and become informed along with our children. Well, we've talked a lot about the positives and some challenges and, and just the things that we like in our college students and maybe the direction they're, they're going. And we're thankful for, um, just the, the way that they can push us as parents and can push the future of the church and the current status of the church to to be better at, at serving. Um, what's one thing that you guys want to share or one thing that you thought was shared in the conversation um, that you just want to highlight here at the end as we close up? Okay, that's easy for me. Um, I absolutely love what Dr. Mac, uh, Dean McNeil said about trusting your village. And that's just trusting the people that are around you or that are around your kids, other adults who can influence, impact, be a resource for your children. Um, And he made the point that we need to be intentional. At least that's what I took away from it. We need to be intentional about about who our village is, because the fact is, is that we're going to have a village. They're going to have a village, whether we're intentional about it or not. Mm-hmm. So let's take advantage of those resources and let's just really give some thought into, you know, the adults, hopefully Christian friends and neighbors and others who can be there for our kids, sometimes in ways that we can't be there for our kids. I love that too. And I also like the point about uh, looking for mentors as parents, looking at older families in our congregations maybe that have been successful in parenting or have at least gone through it further than we have and talking to them and listening to their stories and 
and just being mentored by their experience. And I just love how the church is really designed as a place for helping each other grow in that way. And I think it's really, it's on us to be intentional about finding those relationships. I did have an opportunity a few years ago um, to be in a mentoring program in that we got paired up with an older couple in the congregation. And it was such a good experience. And it's been so helpful to us as our kids have grown. and, And we still have that relationship with that couple. And it's just really invaluable. And I think that's something that we all could do even informally if we don't have a formal program. But it's a great way to learn and to grow. Yeah. You may be the parents that have younger kids and you want to look for um, an older couple or, or an, <clears throat> excuse me, parents of older children. Or you can you could be that parent, that couple um, that you see, hey, there's some, some younger families that are struggling, so we can reach out to them. Um, I, I like the verse that I think was mentioned um, of train up the child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they should not depart from it. And obviously that's not a, um, a perfect formula. Uh, you know, if you hit all these steps, then, then um, your child is always going to be a believer because we all know plenty of people that were raised up in knowing God and have fallen away. But um, that doesn't mean that, that we should stop make, building that foundation. Um, so that's the thing I took away from is it, it's got to start now. You've got to... Uh, create those habits. We've got to create uh, those intentional moments, those areas of service, those things that we can do now for our kids uh, so that when they are older and they are in college and they are exposed to different beliefs and different things that we were trying to protect them from in a sense, um, that they are better prepared for it. Uh, We thank you so much for listening to the FAM Lab. Um, Be looking forward to uh, new episodes coming soon. Um, If you want to uh, leave us a comment or a question or there's something that you would like for us to discuss, please email us at hellofamlab at gmail.com. Again, hellofamlab at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe wherever you're listening to this. We appreciate it. I hope you guys have a blessed day and thanks for listening.